Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. I don't want to like oversimplify it and take the romance out of it. Breweries are, we're brewing beer to make money, right? You're selling mm. product. Yeah. We're not, you know, we want to do it just for the love. <laughs> but not, unfortunately, unfortunately it's, loved it. it's, yeah, not, gotta, it's, it's not that final scene of Field of Dreams where he's ploughed in his corn, everything is going to shit, and then suddenly people turn up at his door because they have a good feeling about it. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 7th July 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz and general manager of Hospitality of Felons and a returning guest, Jim Gold. G'day. Welcome back, Jimmy. <laughs> How are we going, everyone? And welcome back, Sabrina. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's a pleasure <laughs> Sorry, to be I, I, here. I don't mean to not sound enthusiastic. Yeah, but, you know, that's okay. Jim is the star guest this week, that's so right. that's exciting. He is. Well, and, and Jim was a semi-regular guest 18 months ago, but working in hospitality, it wasn't exactly friendly with an early start. So thank you for uh, coming in early on a Thursday morning to... Uh, Mate, I got, I got the call, I got the text, <laughs> cleared the schedule, I'm ready. All the thunder, no lightning. <laughs> well, we'll wait and see. And uh, before we get into the news, just wanted to uh, let listeners of the Radio Brews News podcast channel know that we do have another podcast stream uh, that's very much targeted at uh, professionals in the brewing industry. It's called Brewery Pro. Um, And we've had quite a bit of really good content coming out of the Western Australian Brewers Association Beer and Brewing Conference uh, that that we attended. And uh, a new episode that dropped this week was the evolution of the modern brew house that was hosted by Justin Fox. And it looked at how as the brewing industry changes, the brewing the, the, the brew house has also changed uh, to, to accommodate it. And if you are planning a brewery or you're looking at upgrading your brewery, it's a really, really important conversation uh, uh, or a presentation that you should be listening to to really understand what you should be thinking about in incorporating your new brew house. Um, also, on this channel, we had a conversation this week where we met Harry Sexton, the head brewer of Matilda Bay. If the Sexton name is familiar, it's because he is the son of Phil Sexton, uh, who was the founder of Matilda Bay and also Little Creatures. And uh, it's fascinating to hear as the industry matures, we are starting to see generational brewing happen. And so it's a really great chat uh, with Harry Sexton. Now, if you need to get on, let's get on with the news of the week. And this is what's happened this week. In fact, even just before we record this, uh, a little bit later this morning, David Cryer will be announcing his retirement from the brewing industry. Brewing industry veteran David Cryer has announced that he will be retiring from Cryer Malt, the business that he founded 30 years ago. His last day with the company will be on August 12. Few individuals have had a greater impact on the growth and the shape of the modern craft brewing industry or been greater advocates for it in Australia and New Zealand. Cryer started the business 30 years ago after a career in the wool industry, and five years ago the business was acquired by Barrett Burst and Malting. David said he felt now was the time to step down to spend a little bit more time with his family, and he also indicated that COVID and the lack of travel that that brought had been a difficult time for him. Uh, David Cryer was a very gregarious figure who was a fixture at industry events for more than two decades. By the time you hear this podcast, there will be a special edition of 
uh, Beer is a Conversation in uh, this channel. Uh, we're just talking to David and celebrating his career. And uh, we'll certainly be talking a little bit about that in the Below the Fold. But uh, we wish David every success for his retirement. Uh, in other news, Beer Cartel launches its craft beer survey for 2022. Uh, beer Cartel's Australian craft beer survey has launched for 2022 with the aim to understand attitudes and behaviours towards Australian craft beer. The survey is open to the public and will look at how various trends like alcohol-free beer for the first time uh, and purchasing channels have affected consumption habits. Uh, so yes, if you are interested in giving your thoughts and helping to inform the Australian brewing industry, jump on uh, into the show notes and you'll see a link where you can complete the Australian Craft Beer Survey. In technology news, Convoy Group expands its IoT tracking offering, that's Internet of Things. The Convoy Group has announced the expansion of its keg tracking business with the acquisition of intellectual property assets from Portuguese technology company Onolytics. The addition of the new cellular device complements Convoy's current Sigfox 0G device. The acquisition continues Convoy's global tracking rollout with over 120,000 kegs currently being tracked ahead of a global launch at DrinkTech in Munich later this year. Also, uh, lessons learned, marketing and flexibility. This is, you now we've covered the one year on stories of a large number of breweries over the last couple of years and we really had realised that what we were focusing on was what they've learned in that first 12 months rather than just celebrating their 12 months. And uh, this is the latest in that and we meet the Woolstore Brewery, and uh, they realised that marketing to a wider audience and learning how to pivot in unforeseen circumstances were key lessons that they learnt in its first year of business. The Mount Gambier-based brewery, which opened in July last year, struggled with COVID restrictions and a lack of marketing direction. Co-founder Kylie Ind said adapting to restrictions and hosting events were two ways the business combated these challenges. If you are a brewery that's going through its early stages, or especially if you're a brewery in planning, the Lessons Learned series is very valuable for you to keep your eye on to uh, hopefully learn and have your path ahead smoothed by the lessons of some of the breweries that have already made some of those mistakes and learn some of those lessons. Now that's the industry news of the week, quiet week uh, in, in a lot of ways, although I have been told that there is going to be an announcement today from Mighty Craft um, that's going to land on the stock exchange that we don't have yet, so uh, keep an eye out for that or we'll certainly be looking at that next week. So that's the news you need to use as you brew your brews uh, and everyone's shaking their head. No, so. I'm nodding, I'm nodding, that was good. <laughs> And uh, if you need to get back to the brew deck or the sales uh, sales team, uh, you can do that. Otherwise, please join us below the fold. Big news, David Cryer announces his retirement. I mean, he is a huge figure in the Australian brewing industry. Have you met David Cryer? I've not had the pleasure. No, okay. So, yeah, I I guess coming from a hospitality background, um, he probably hasn't uh, crossed your way, but anyone who's brewed beer would know the Cryer Malt name. Anyone who's listened to this podcast would certainly know the Cryer Malt name. I knew David through his support of the Brewers Guild in New Zealand. He was one. Where of he the served f- as chair. He was the fa- one of the founders of the Brewers Guild of mm. New Zealand and was an advocate and supporter in the entire time I was there. But all the years prior and all the years since I've been there. Um, you know, just an absolute stalwart of the industry. He was, uh, I, I wrote a story late last year commemorating or marking 10 years of what is now the IBA. And, uh, you know, David and I were there at the start and he was you know, instrumental in providing the advice that he learned from the Brewers Guild and, you know, helping to shape the, or bring it together and give it credibility and, uh, you know, provide you know, advice. And it's, this is a lot more opinion, our podcast, than 
we write articles on the story, but it's very, very hard to be dispassionate about somebody who was as generous and giving to the industry um, and not gush effusively, um, you know, because he, he, he certainly deserves it. And I, I was thrilled last year to have sponsored the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Indies and get to present that to David. Um, you know, that was a real thrill for me because I couldn't think of anyone who was more deserving. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, it, again, it's very hard to separate your own views and the support that David has given my writing career because, uh, again, it's so typical of his approach. He's always said what is good for the industry is good for my business and a, f- you know, a healthy, flourishing industry um, was something that he really devoted his life outside of his own business to, um, knowing that rising tide lifts all boats thing. He was always looking at how to bring the tide in for the industry, knowing that his was one of the boats that was going to lift. And Yeah, I think that I would imagine there over the next few weeks there are going to be outpourings of individual stories. Mm. Um, and it's when you knit all of that together, all of those individual stories of supporting individuals, that it actually looks at how many businesses – um, the, the structure of yep. the industries in Australia and New Zealand that he's actually sort of helped knit together and support. So it'll be, you know, it is that structural change that he's really been such a key figure in, which is unique to say, you know, you often have that. It, it means there's a, um, you know, there's a, there's a shifting of the tide. Like it sort of marks this change in our industry. Like mm. who is going to knit all of that together now? And it can't. It's, it's so much bigger than when he started, when he could have these conversations. But you look at that structural stuff of bringing everybody together to, to have those conversations and you watch someone like David retire and you go, gosh, how are we going to do this now? Mm. How are we going to keep this sort of this net holding, you know? Who are the industry leaders? Who are the industry leaders that are having what David used to do, conversations with hundreds of individuals provide support, make himself available on the phone. Like who is doing those tasks to kind of pull it all together? Mm. Because the industry is so much larger, it's almost impossible to do it in the way that he did it, one-to-one. Um, but it is it is this structural question. And yeah, and, and it, it's structural, but it wasn't just, well, how do I support breweries? Because if there's more breweries, they buy my product. It's how do I work below the line to make breweries more viable. Yeah. Um, and that's... Beervana. Yeah, uh, he bought Beervana and yep. wanted to change the structure of Beervana to make it less about drinking, you know, knowing that the... You know, less about just going and getting drunk, but about celebrating beer, elevating beer, educating consumers about beer, because that's how you... Well, he wanted to. He wanted to take his marketing skills to make an a beer event, sort of a flagship event, which is quite different to what was taking place then. So the real beer geeks were kind of getting involved. It was just at the start of, you know, the the, the modern craft beer movement, and so. But he really wanted to take his thing was all about marketing. Mm. Like he had this idea of how he could pull all of these groups together and market it better. And I mean. Modern Beervana has just announced a brand change, but Modern Beervana grew out of, you know, those steps that David took in that mm. 2009, 2010. Which is a huge distraction from his business. As yeah, well. I mean, which to, is to just run all volunteer event, time. Yeah, to run an event yeah. like that, that you're not trying to profit from, you're just hoping not to lose money on, whilst also running a business. Um, and, you know... It, but it has spawned craft beer festivals Gabs traces its DNA I had the privilege of travelling around Beervana when it first moved to the Wellington Stadium with Steve Jeffers when they were planning on expanding 
gabs and looking to, to look at ideas. And, you know, it was people like David doing those things that had huge distraction from his own business. But that was the sort of person that he was, that he was just so committed to the industry. Mm. Um, oh, he is, sorry, I should say. He was in his professional capacity. He's, um, but, yeah, and, and, and those were the supporting beer journalism. You know, I, I went back when I was, uh, you know, trying to shape my thoughts about it. I went back to the very, very, early, very, very early conversations I had with him uh, in the early you know, 2005, 2006, and he was trying to work out how do we encourage more people to be writing about beer. Um, and, you know, that, that's something that if you've got a malting company that sells to brewers, you know, it's a couple of steps yep. of logic to realise that that's important as well and that's something you need to be investing in to uh, do your business. And I, I, I can't think of too many people who have that level of, overview of the industry you know when brewers fight about the six seven eight hundred dollars it costs to join the iba so saying well what are they doing for me and you're going well it's that's not you need an association they're not going to do everything for you they're not going to you're not going to agree with everything that they do but surely you realize that an association to represent and in, in, in an industry where a lot of people think that way you've got someone who's thinking you know five steps ahead um to, to the potential you know, initial detriment of their business because of the distraction and the well, cost. Well, there's a huge slipstream that needs to be filled and hopefully as industries in both countries we can continue to knit together to build on, you know, what David had aspired for both industries. Mm. So, and yeah, so, I mean, I'm looking forward to having my next beer with David Cryer um, as a civilian. <laughs> um, beer cartel survey launches... It was good. I did it. It was good. I haven't yet. Um, I haven't had a chance. I just think, I mean, this is, I don't know how many years. I feel like I should know. It's going on a really long time. I didn't do it last year. Yeah, it's six or seven years old. Yeah, and, you know, it is a data point. It's not always, you know, um, you can always quibble with what the data is and what the questions are and so on and so forth. And who's responding. And who's responding. Because it's highly, again, it's, it's highly targeted at people who are already in the beer industry, which by definition skews the data but notwithstanding it's been consistently done mm. by a company yep. that yes it's beneficial for them but they make the data public um i recommend everybody should go and fill it out it's useful data what sort of what sort of questions are we looking at it's really basic so it's um you know trying to capture demographic data so their reports out are you know like are other people who are drinking beer changing how often are you drinking what type of product are you drinking um certainly this year the questions about type of product broke down they even asked specific questions about low carb gluten non-alc mm, so yeah. really trying to look at those specific niches in beer um and then um you know what's your favorite venue yep. have you been what's the best venue in and you know what's the best venue in your state um and and i know from the reporting out from previous years that they'll take all of that and and really sort of source trends. So there'll be some, you know, this is the greatest venue in Queensland. Mm. This is the best brew pub in Australia. Um, but the actual underlying data of who's drinking, how often are they drinking, what format are they drinking in, um, where are you purchasing from, is it online shopping, is it independent, is it big box. Um, so, you know, stuff that is interesting to know if you're a small brewery and you cannot – afford to buy that data um, from mm. the big players because not everybody can afford to get 
Yeah. You know? And the changes would be so significant. I mean, I'm just thinking I, I would have filled it out a few years ago and I would have been double IPAs and yep. imperial stouts and barrel-aged everything. And now it's like, yeah, non-alcoholic, like low alk, <laughs> you know, the odd specialty, nothing over 6%, you know. So, they, yeah, they ask about AVV. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that's precisely – and it's those um, trend lines that are actually interesting. And to me, this is one of the flaws with – this type of survey is when you're asking people that data is probably you know that they're a significant online sales business yep their online sales data is going to be a much better reflection on what people are drinking than what a even smaller subsection of the market are reporting that they're drinking mm. you know because that's a recall based thing it you know it they know if their if the percentage of their sales for zero alk is up or down, and to me this is one of the problems with the survey is you've got data that probably you know isn't robust in in some ways. It, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting data point, and it's very important that we have this data. But then it ends up be, being marketed by people who are self serving in a way that. Um, and not negatively self-serving, it's what marketing is, um, to project certain things. And, and it'll be interesting to see what the alcohol-free data says because the sales data is the most valuable data we'll have. Um, and we'll, 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 we'll yeah. come to alcohol-free because you've just looked at the trademarks yeah. um, for, for, for the last month. And alcohol-free, talking about a wave that is going to suffocate so many businesses just because there are so many entrants into a market that isn't growing anywhere near um, the rush of products de- designed to satisfy that market. Well, and, and I mean, I don't know, we just had a quick chat about this off mic with Jim, but, um, you know, what you can see from the trademarks, so I was doing the April trademarks, so this is sort of a couple of months ago and the report will be coming out in the next week or so, but even in there, you've got new companies launching to do non-ALK across all previously alcoholic products so the line of what those products are being called so they are launching a trademark and it will be a non dealcoholized wine three flavors a spirit one flavor beer multiple flavors but uh, I say flavors because if it's all non-alk um, depending on how they make it who knows what it you know really mm. is I mean it's Anyway, so so that piece – and there are companies launching to be non-ALK brands. And, um, you know, we haven't done the trace back, but I think it's pretty obvious on some of them that they are marketing businesses. So there's someone who's a yep. marketing agency who goes, oh, um, non-ALK selling at 150% of what it was selling at last year. We're going to create a brand because we don't need all of this equipment to build – to make non-ALK products we don't need um you know our production licensing isn't the same because we're not making alcoholic products and so we're just going to be a brand house that has these things and we're going to make money Mm. and those entrants are going to come into the market against brand extensions of existing breweries or the like so i just think it's going to be fascinating um and sort of this concept of who are the competitors for breweries and what is our product and who are we actually competing against is just getting muddier and muddier. Well, Jimmy, again, one of the very first podcasts that Jim was on was because 
as somebody who a fitness influencer, you, you certainly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've just been promoted. Wow. Yeah. Update my resume. <laughs> You, you, you're a sponsored athlete uh, who posts stuff to social media. I, I think, you know, not derogatory, no, but like... It's, it, all, it's all compliments. I'm yeah, yeah, it yeah, all yeah. <laughs> no, but, but you you are um, a, an aspirational athlete. Um, wow, uh, it's getting better. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> See, it's all marketing. Um, no, but and, and, but you were the one of the uh, people that I was first speaking to in the... when the attention came to alcohol-free beer and asking you what the use case was because you're somebody who grew up in pubs, as an adult, working in pubs, like your professional life growing up in pubs. Um, You've seen, and that was in the very early days of craft beer, um, and you've worked at a number of significant venues across Brisbane and you were making the shift because of lifestyle reasons to alcohol-free beer um, at a time that it was only an emerging category. And, uh, you know, w- what have you seen over the last two, three years? Well, I mean, like, for my own behaviour, like, everything that I got into the beer industry for, I still love, you know, alcohol included, but you just get to a point where you want to just drink less. Mm. And that's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I don't think anyone should ever get on the back foot about that so with the non-alc space i then look for or who's my what are the breweries i love and like bridge road i've always adored bridge road so i drink their free time because it's incredible product and i love what ben kraus and the team do down there and i just go well that's my product whereas yeah i think on that thing of marketing companies coming along and going here's our non-alc thing i'd probably be a little bit more hesitant but i'd still try it but I guess for me, it's like, I love the story. I love the whole narrative of why a brewery does what they do yeah. and where they yep. are yeah. and their whole message. And I love that Bridge Road make alcoholic beers and I love that they make a non-alcoholic beer. So for me, yeah. it's quite quite simple, really. Well, so that makes the case, though, for where breweries can still shine, mm. which is the case that we've been making for a long time and um, is, is, that, is the story component, right? And I know that, you know... Um, it gets a bit ties that we say have an authentic story, but also don't let your authentic story be. We were three guys in a garage, like there and a dog, and usually. a do- yeah. dog or a parrot <laughs> or a. I mean, the number of and so there is this sort of thing that says you, you know there is still that um, you've got to be really smart about it. You do it all the time, and the brand story has got to be really consistent with everything that you do across your business. But that is still a sales and marketing opportunity for breweries mm. that it doesn't exist for. Uh, brands that get launched. Well, it's also like as much as, you know, I don't want to like oversimplify it and take the romance out of it. Breweries are, we're brewing beer to make money, right? You're selling mm. product. Yeah. We're not, you know, we want to do it just for the love. <laughs> but unfortunately, unfortunately loved it. it's, yeah, not, it, it's, it's not that final scene of Field of Dreams where he's, Ploughed in his corn, everything is going to shit, and then suddenly people turn up at his door because they have a good feeling about it. Yeah, it's it's not that. It's you know you got to pay for the walls, you got to pay for all the people running around doing all the work, you got to do all the stuff. So if you don't have something that there is a percentage and it's a growing percentage of people want to buy, they're yep. going to spend their money somewhere else. Yep. That's pretty. You know, it's a oversimplified look at it, but that's kind of if Bridge Road didn't make a non-alc, I wouldn't put any of my money into Bridge Road because I can't buy one of their products or yeah. if I'm looking for non-alc yeah. or whatever, you know, it's that's kind of how I sort of view it. So you go, well, you know, are you going to do one and have, you know, with 5%, 10% of the people want non-alcoholic beer or whatever, then you got to make that call. It's, and it's, but it's no different to anything else in your range. Dark beers are a great example. Dark beers will never be your biggest seller, 
but you kind of need to do one because there's always people that want to drink a dark beer, but they might only have one stout for every 10 lagers they have, but that one stout they bloody appreciate. Yeah, mm. but but if, if that's part of your branding, again, you know, like it's, mm. it's consistency across the brand um, yeah. was what really stood out from what you said, Sabrina, because... Mm-hmm. I, and this this is the nub of my issue with Zero Alk at the moment, is that you look at the number of people who are racing headlong into a category because yeah. there is this ridiculous amount of coverage, and particularly now, you know, saturation coverage during dry July. Yep. And they're just looking at the hype and the noise and the number of players and thinking, I'm going to miss out. Yep. And never actually wondering, how does this fit in with the rest of my range? How does this fit with my existing customers? Is you know are, are people actually drinking this or is this just a whole lot of noise? Um, and you know, we got a media release this week from a data company that you know trying to get it, it, it's a data analytics company trying to promote itself. So during dry July, they've come up with data that says that breweries that have introduced a low alk beer, you know, have grown their revenues by forty nine percent. And then they sort of talk about the industry is growing at you know one hundred and fifty percent. And so all of these numbers, but then you're going, well, hold on, no brewery, there isn't a brewery, even an alcohol-free brewery that is growing at its revenues by 49%, like an exclusively alcohol-free. So you're conflating data. You know, breweries that are growing might be adding a zero-alc beer, but zero-alc beer isn't driving that growth on any metric. But you've because, got- because you still can't produce a crap well, and well, not out yeah. beer, right? And yeah. so, like, yep. if you are a good growing brewery who has a clear vision for your company, you know what you're doing, you know how to go about it, you are going to go, how do we provide a product, a good, high-quality product? Yep. Can we do it? How do we do it? What mm. do we do? And and so that's why there's a correlation there between growth and having a non-alg. Mm. And, 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 you know, to your point, you were saying you love what Bridge Road does and you love that product. Just before we move on, because I, 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 I just uh, – um, before I move on from, from this media release, but that media release is the problem with it. You've got this media release that's designed to sell somebody, promote somebody else's business and they don't care, like the facts or otherwise of the low-alc business, but they want to get some attention. They've seen a news hook during dry July and so they're pushing this stuff out that superficially – looks amazing and it's just going to suck more people into the low alk space because it makes it low alk look when there just is no but i think it's going to be like anything else right there is all of this hype we've been talking about it but the cream will rise to the top the Mm. people that can you know i've said on this podcast before and i'll say it again like some breweries don't have the equipment the capabilities to make a really great non-alk their product might not last but they can buy in um, from their local area, a really great non-out product from people who are specialists in it. And I think we're going to find that over, let's call it five years, you know, everybody who rushes into it might rush back out again if it doesn't work or will, you know, through attrition leave. And then you will still have some really great non-out products there in the future. But we're just going to see fear is this... the collateral damage. All of it, those breweries would otherwise be viable. Yep but for the headlong rush of unviable entrants who are all chipping you know, at their mar- at, at the, the the volume that they need or the yeah, profit that they I need mean, to survive. Yeah, I mean, this is the discussion that you... That but that's, that's business, by the way. Like, yeah, that's also the, business. this is the discussion that we've had at, at, at Nauseam, but, you know, not to use a... But, you know, there's barriers to entry are one thing, but also as a business you need to be um, creating... You know, you need to know what your strategic place is and... and 
and keep raising the barriers to entry for other players by having a really clear spot in the market. And if you're not doing that, um, there will be collateral damage to your business, right? In defence of the 49%, though, I would say if I only had soft drinks available for someone who wasn't drinking, they're only going to buy a soft drink or have a water. Yeah. If I had a non-alcoholic beer that was nine, ten bucks, they're yep. probably going to buy one at least, probably two, maybe even three. So yep. I've just gotten... 28, 30 bucks out of someone that otherwise I would have gotten maybe $4. But this isn't breweries that are selling non It's breweries that are making non-alc. And, and I don't think there was a correlation there because if, if you're a brewery that's mm. growing that quickly, mm. you're going to want to have add, you know, you, you're a brewery that's doing well and you're going to want to add, a, even if it's a loss leader, even if you're never going to make money from it because mm. you want a complete range. Yep. If, if you're a small brewery that's got a tap house um, and wants to get into the zero alc space because you think that it's this rapidly growing you've got to miss out because it's the next hazy IPA or whatever. It, to, to me, it's a little bit like gluten-free. You know, mm. you, you don't need buy to... Buy it in. Buy it in. Two bays, buy it in. Buy it in from Bridge Road. Mm. Just incidentally, so did you um, buy into the Bridge Road equity crowd fund? No, I didn't. Okay. Any reasons or... No, I just missed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said I've been working very hard. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hey, um... All of this came out of the chat about uh, the beer cartel. Beer cartel survey. survey. Anything else we want to say about the survey? Nope. Okay, go and do it. You can win a prize, right? Yeah, like you a, can win a prize. Five hundred dollars worth wait. of beer from Beer Cartel, I think, for completing the survey. Now, you did talk about marketing, and you know, one of the clearest ways you can market your product <laughs> is. Look, I see where you're going. The I label on your it. can, yeah. you know, and you, you want a good label. But you know what, listeners, if you're a brewer, you probably realise that most industries are experiencing delays of some sort, be it transport, import, parts, staff, manufacturing, even print production lines are suffering. Are you finding hard to get staff, Jimmy? Staff, stock, equipment. Right across the industry. But some of these delays are blowing out to unrealistic timeframes. For example, up to 12 weeks just to produce, print and supply empty beer cans ready for canning, even before going on sale. These are not sustainable timeframes, people, over any time period. You know what the solution is? What is Rowling's it? Rowling's label stickers Rowling's and labels. packaging. Beer can labelling or sleeving is a far quicker way of getting your product in the hands of your patrons much sooner with no compromise of quality presentation. You don't compromise on taste and Rallings don't compromise on look. With so many different beer brands and products available, keeping loyal patrons is difficult without adding extra pressure of blown-out lead times. Talk to the guys at Rallings today about the advantages of alternative ways of getting your product to patrons quicker. Give them a call, look down at your phone right now, and you'll see the number, one 800 252 or you can email sales at au. And isn't it great that when you listen to a podcast on the phone and you can just look down and you can press the thing and you're... Email brows will pop up and you can email them straight away. But not while you're driving. Not while you're driving, no. Right. Or, or probably dealing with heavy machinery or anything like that. But when you get home tonight. Now, Jimmy, one of the things I wanted to have a chat to you about, or completely apropos of nothing of the news, but it's one of those interesting little sidelines, is this week I saw on your personal Facebook you'd been touring... Um, gallivanting around. Gallivanting around. Well, work, but you, you were looking at Spirits Dispense. And yep. the listeners, the, the photo that he posted was, if you've ever been in a cool room of a, of a brewery and seen the kegs and things like that with the manifold distributing it out, this was the same sort of setup, but with what... 30 litre... 30. You can do. You can go as big as you want. 200 litre if you really want. But the, these drums that were filled with spirits. And I sort of think of the modern cocktail bar where you've got, you know, a waistcoat 
um, flat cap gent with a neatly groomed beard and sort of tossing bottles around and very effect- effectively spritzing glasses and to suddenly see, it was kind of like seeing the Wizard of Oz and pulling back the curtain and sort of seeing the Wizard of Oz as just this little man pulling things. And it, 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 it spoke a lot about the business versus the romance of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah, and I mean, on your scale, how, you many, what, how many people, like how many does your venue have at any one time, like in terms of patrons? So, so, so we're talking about Felons, the, the whole yeah, Felons, so Felons, Felons, Felons Brewing Co and Felons Barrel Hall. Yeah. Um, so on a Saturday night we'll have just over 2,000 people. Right. So that's the scale that listeners should be thinking about yeah. when you're talking about a 30-litre yeah. spirit. So it's not 25 spirit. people in your tap yeah. room. Exactly. So <laughs> 25 that's people just... waiting to go to the toilet is basically the, <laughs> yeah, the scale we have. Yeah. Yeah. So at that scale, you know, it's it's high volume, very, very fast paced. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the unfortunate nature, especially with spirits, is you get wastage and you get, you know, a mil here, two mils there, which when you're only pouring 30 mil at a time, it can it can really, really add up when you're doing, you know, literally tens of thousands of spirits a week so yeah we we went down talked to this company called ipaw from sydney and they they've kind of got these really interesting this is an ad by the way so just no, unsponsored was, yep. unlike my athleticism <laughs> <laughs> um spirit dispensing guns and uh, you know i think everyone i always err on the side of romance with hospitality because you know it is the experience and it's you know all this stuff but there is a point where you go, well, we're wasting a lot of vodka with one mil here, two mils there. So we looked at these guns and they're actually quite quite amazing. So yeah, they're a little dispensing gun. They pull basically from a from a keg. So similar mechanism to like a post-mix gun, um, mm-hmm. except, yeah, it comes out of a carboy. So yeah, we're exploring that at the moment. Um, and I mean, it's really just, you think 10 years ago, if you went somewhere and they had wine on tap, you would say, man, what are you? what is this? Mm-hmm. And now it's people are actually looking at it because you've, you've got the benefits of you know, you don't need so much uh, storage space for bottles and then you've got to recycle the bottles and move it all around and stock holdings and wastage from pouring. So, you know, it's the same kind of narrative, I think. So that's why we're looking at it. And it's a different type of, you know, th- th- to your point, the flat cap sort of um, lapel wearing, you know, that's a, that's a whole different experience to one where, you know, if you were, I'm going to play this out in a real, if you were at a, a beer hall um, and you're sitting out the front at Felons and you're in a big group of 10 people and somebody's like, I'm going to go, we're going to have nine beers and one cocktail. And then you've got to stand and wait for that bloody cocktail to be made. <laughs> mm-hmm. The person at the bar is losing their mind, right? Because they just want to the, – the, the experience that they're after is – it's quick a social, service. It's a social experience is exactly. what you actually want. That's what that's the product we're trying to sell. Exactly. Yeah. So your your experience is those ten people sitting down and having a chat. It's quick service. It's get them in and get them back to their friends yep. as so they can enjoy themselves as quickly as possible. And if you are standing there waiting for cocktail to be made you're you're getting impatient right because you've waited in line to get to the front because there's 2,000 people there you just want to sit down with your friends and so like that's the reality of of that experience so back to the point earlier about like consistency of brand if you were a small intimate cocktail lounge where people came there to see the theater and you pulled out a gun that would not, not so romantic. Not so, <laughs> right? But that's not the bre- that's not what you're selling, right? That's not the experience that you're cultivating no, exactly. at that venue. You know, and, and that's uh, every every hospitality operator, you know, we do get a bit stuck in our ways and probably everyone across industries, but you realize that there's this sort of tech and and uh, you know, 
these things that come around and, you know, table ordering. I was going to ask because how much of this is made viable or because if, if you're ordering at your table, you're not seeing yep. the drink being yep. made. And so yep. that theatre matters much less. Yep. 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 Yeah, I mean, we so we use um, a order at table company called Me and You. Um, we've used that, and it was a post COVID pivot. You know, mm-hmm. we we had to do it because we have such a big space. Um, we couldn't viably do the whole social distancing yeah. and, and all. So we went, all right. Well, we need to put every till on a table and let people order at the table. And it turns out it's been we've pivoted our business and how we operate because of that system. And now the majority, so. 55-ish percent of all of our orders come through menu. So it's a pretty powerful tool and we've started to lean into it and exploring, you know, how we can utilise it to the next sort of level. And, you know, you just think about you've got, you know, much better communication on like wait times. Uh, You've got this beautiful aesthetic digital menu that's got photos of all the food and Bev and um, you can do, you know, you can capture – email uh, stuff through databases. So there's all this, all these extra things. And, you know, these guys are, they're growing because so many businesses are now using these, um, this equipment. So I think it's, yeah, I just think you have to kind of keep looking at what's happening in all these different spaces because otherwise you, you probably will wake up one day and go, Oy, what's... It's really interesting <laughs> you say that on? because as you're speaking, I'm just thinking... Um, I think we talked about this somewhere else previously, but I can't remember. But actually, like the sophistication needed, like the real magic is in integrating the you and me platform with the data that you could get out of the pouring guns, with the data that you can get out of X. So it's actually becoming more and more just like in every other business. Mm. Um, Big data and actually the analytics that you can get out of your business by using these tech tools is just becoming so critical to sort of that little edge to help you in terms of you know and last week I talked about all of these economic pressures that are coming to beer Um, and so you know when you've got all of those economic pressures these fine lines of margins that you can make up by having really clear analytics is actually going to be in some cases the sort of the survival or not right 100% 100% yeah so I don't know who knows what the next thing will be but Mm. I'll have my but the the, the, the the fascinating thing for me is at what point do you need to think, you know, when, when it's 80 bottles of spirits a month that are disappearing through that one mill, mm. is that up? Or, you know, if you're a small venue, you know, one bottle of yeah. uh, spirits is, is a significant level of wastage. Absolutely. And yeah. When you're doing it at scale, clearly you're not just pocketing that money, you're investing that into other elements of the business to pro- because – if you aren't being that flat cap um, vest wearing craft you know cocktail bar you are a hospitality venue and you know you can't just trade on that amazing view that you've got down at felons I'd imagine you know where people just come in for, for that view you still need to be a hospitality venue well it's a, there's no there's really no difference in terms of the the base level mechanics of it we buy products we put staff in there and we sell them to guests. You know, it doesn't matter if you got 20 people or 2,000. At the end of the day, at that cocktail bar, Button is probably still wasting one or two mil. So it might take him longer to waste that amount of stock, but mm. the wastage is still there. Yeah. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. You know, and I guess for reference sake, it'd be like buying a bag of malt, getting your hands in there and throwing a handful in the bin, going, yeah. oh, we waste that much every time. You wouldn't do it, you know, yeah. or in an office. You'd buy a ream of paper and throw... 
50 sheets in the bin, it's like, why would you, you wouldn't do that. Yeah. You need to use every little bit of it. So if you can get rid of that one, two mils, like why wouldn't you do that? Because it just adds up over the course of your. And I think that's, you know, a point, Matt, which is that these sorts of ideas and concepts, um, the pouring gum might not be the right answer for your wastage problem. There may be another answer for your wastage problem, but it doesn't mean that a small business can't focus on wastage. Absolutely. To help, you know, with their profit. Yeah, and I think, I think, I mean, the biggest bit of feedback I've had from just when I talk to people about them is they go, well, it's, that's not very romantic. Like, I want to see yeah. the guy or girl pull the bottle out and flip it around their head and, oh. you know, go full Tom Cruise and cocktail with it. But, you know, I think consumers now are getting more hip to the whole sustainable piece. So you can yeah. build that into it. So you go, mm. look, well, if I buy, you know, this amount of vodka in 700 more bottles, yep. guess what? All those bottles then have to, one, yep. get made we buy them, then we have to recycle them. Yep. So there's, and then there's the transport piece. There's all these different things that go all the way down the supply chain. Whereas you can now buy they're just drums of vodka. And again, we go, oh, that doesn't sound very nice. But it's like, well, how is it? You know, it's a, a keg of beer versus a drum of vodka versus a keg of wine versus a... Well, I mean, you put whatever. that into, uh, not to link it to one of the other stories you talked about, but that is the premise of Convoy Kegs, right? Yeah. So part of their IoT, one of their premises is it's, far more sustainable for us to be moving large volumes of whatever, um, beer mm. or spirits or wine. Um, and so the reason they're investing in technology is to do that component of that problem solving for the sustainability piece more efficiently, right? And so, you know, that that is an argument that I think there's the new stainless steel international keg association or something mm. um, that has been established mostly with the parent company of Kegstar at the helm of it. Um, and, and they're trying to make that argument out in the world to disabuse people of not wanting to have wine out of a mm. wine on tap for that point. So, I mean, yeah. you know, you do the old school um, school fundraiser where you cross out like we've saved a hundred bottles and it goes up on a wall and people go, oh, I feel really good now we've saved a hundred bottles. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'll ask before we move on from this topic, Jim, you're hospitality manager um, for one of Brisbane's biggest hospitality venues. If you were stepping back, you know, to a younger Jimmy into a much smaller bar, knowing what you know now, mm. what would you, you know, this is some takeaways for small craft breweries that are listening to us. Where can you go back and see this is what I would have done differently if I was running that small, much, much smaller venue? Well, I think the, I think the table ordering technology is great. I think that's here to stay. And I think now people are actually going to start really looking for venues that do that because again with hospitality there's an extent of it where you're providing service and, and, and hospitality to people but there's also an element the product I always say the product is the three of us want to go out catch up over a beer that's kind of what we want to do we're not actually there to talk to the bartender for that long so we might talk to the bartender once but if we can extend the amount of minutes we have to catch up we're all on a schedule we're only got an hour and a half guess what? You just save 20 minutes by not going out to the bar and queuing up. You can just order from your table. So I think that's 100% staying. So I would implement that basically anywhere I would go. Um, yeah, the technology piece, where viable, spirit guns, spirit dispensers. Now that I've seen it and potentially will start working with it, I think that makes sense for some level. Um, you know, there's probably a point where if you were running a 40-seater 
probably not, but, you know, 150, 200-seater, absolutely, because that wastage is there at a scale that you genuinely want to really track and, 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 you know, as you get bigger, you need more staff, and generally if you've got more staff, unfortunately, if you've got 30 people in the books, all 30 of them aren't going to be veteran hospo guns, so, you know, you might have a few younger people who can't pour spirits super well and you train them, but it's still one mil, two mil there, so I think that technology is really, really good. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I think just there's there's so much stuff you can kind of lean into. Um, you know, getting a really good booking system is very, very important. You know, I've worked with the old phone and diary for years and that's great, but, um, you know, we use a, a digital uh, booking uh, service called Seven Rooms, which is just amazing. It compiles all the reviews from its own internal. So if you book a table at Felons, you book it through Seven Rooms, it hosts us for us, and then we have access to it through a portal. Um, you get prompted, for everyone that books, you get prompted to leave a review and feedback. But it also pulls that data from Google as well as um, TripAdvisor. So if I want to get a snapshot of how we're actually going, it gives me this really nice ecosystem of reviews. And then I can set up automated... Basically, if you book a table from Felons, you get an, an email... For me, every time someone books, you know, it's automated, but it's a nice touch. So mm-hmm. immediately, if you're doing the old pen in a diary on a Monday morning, I wasn't calling all my guests going, hey, how was lunch on Friday? You know, was it good? Was it, you know, it's, so that's all automated. I think those are pretty powerful things. Um, and has it taken you a long time? So um, one of the things that I've experienced is that there's such a breadth of software as a service offerings in every space, right? So the booking system to come to the right booking system, the you and me on the table, right? So small breweries, you go, okay, we want a booking system. Where do you start to find the one that works for you? Because just that due diligence process about finding the right system is actually a lot of work. Mm. So what's your experience in kind of like tracking down the right system? Yeah, well, that's a really good point because I had searched when I wanted to implement one at another venue and it was actually quite hard to pick the one. So, yeah. I, you know, Hospo just leans on Hospo. You just mm. kind of ask around and eventually get it. And we actually had an older system that we then pivoted over to Seven Rooms and it's just been leaps and bounds ahead. So, I'll enter the question by just saying, do you use Seven Rooms because it's really good? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a paid God, that influence the status. Is just, <laughs> I'm just a... Just a Brand, buddy. So, what brand of shoe do you wear, Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's <laughs> no, uh, yeah, but it, that's we have no. That's a practical, we practical don't. experience, yeah. right? That's, but this that's isn't hands on. Just, just yeah. putting this out there. This is an ad, but it's an ad from somebody that we love because if we are talking about reliable, if we are talking about automation, you know who I think of. Scar fabrication. I do think of scar fabrication because they build reliable automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for breweries and their production teams. If you are a brewer looking for the best way to get your product out of your tap room and into the hands of your customers, you don't need a spirits gun. You need scar fabrication because they have you covered. With a wide range of depalletizers, custom conveyance, date coating, rinsing and drying systems and more, Scarfab specialises in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from keg to can. To find out more about how Scarfab can help you sell more beer, visit www.scarfabricating.com today. That's S-K-A, fabricating.com to get started today. And you'll find a link in your show notes and also on the Bruce News Business Directory. Now, we have one... I mean, it's almost embarrassing to read this out. I wouldn't read it out. It is embarrassing. It, it, no, it, it, it was good. Uh, it was nice to hear... Um, 
I never know whether to say who came who came from, but you'll know who you are when you hear it. Uh, lovely feedback from last week's show. Excellent as always. Craft beer discussion and heavy metal. Ian, uh, that's Ian Watson, who was on the show last week, is welcome back anytime. He's a big fan of Sabrina too, by the way. No mention of me. Oh, that's nice. It is, isn't yeah. it nice? Hopefully, I'm just so ubiquitous that, you know, I don't need to We'll send me. you your fan mail. Yeah, we'll send you your fan mail, Jimmy. Because we always used to get uh, good uh, fan mail from you. Wow. So, well, that's 50 minutes of news and brews, and let's let you get back to either making or selling your own brews. Um, thank you very much, Jimmy. Great to have you back. Hey, Jim thanks Gold. for, thanks so for is the invite. Jim or Jimmy? It always used to be Jimmy Gold. Well, it's, you know, Jimmy's my legal name and Jim's my stage name. So. Jim's your stage <laughs> yeah. name. Yeah. Jim's your professional it's name. It's your influencer that you're, uh, name. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Or as uh, God, Jim so, used to say, gopher. I'm so pumped up. Jeez, I'm going to do this every week. This feels great. You're <laughs> going to strut into work <laughs> this morning. That's and then right. you'll be like, what just happened? Yeah. And also thank you to Sabrina Kunz. Uh, Sabrina, thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Um, the show is produced by Vivian Tabalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Yakima Chief Hops, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Scar Fabricating and Thirsty Merchants for their support in making this episode possible. And thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or you can leave a review on your favourite podcasting service. And... I mean, hopefully Claire's listening to this. I was just going to say, hi, Claire. Well, yeah. Hope you're enjoying Portugal. Is she in Portugal or is she... The UK now, UK. I think. But hi, Claire. You're hey, just going to have to picture that dulcet boom. Yeah. And we're out. <laughs>